0: You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. Church, life is precious. Life is made and given by God. Have you ever held a baby? If not, I'm sure there's one floating around near you here at Citizens. You just ask permission first. No No grabbing. But as you feel a baby in your arms, they're tiny, they're helpless. There's this beauty of a new human that you know life is precious as you hold it. But you also know life is preciously short. We've all been to a funeral. We all know our bodies do decay, that sin has broken this world. Muhammad Ali, the world champion boxer, American legend, reflected on this near the end of his life. He said, a man who views the world at 50, the same he did at 20, has wasted 30 years of his life. We all see the limitedness of time, and we both need wisdom and purpose to live life right. Now, I read very widely, so don't judge me here, but I just finished Jessica Simpson's memoir the other day. And you may remember her as a pop star from the 2000s, kind of competing with Britney Spears. And after about a decade later in her career of drinking and pills and toxic relationships, she says this, I've been selfish with my time and careless with my life, but now I want to give back and have purpose in my life again. Few people want to waste their life. But if we're not careful, we will. It's easy to waste your life. But because Christ has shined on us, has turned our darkness into light by the gospel, forgiving our sins and bringing us to God, we are told to now be careful how we walk. And this passage is instructions on how not to waste our lives. Look at verse 15 with me. It says, look carefully, take care, take care of God's people. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, or debauchery. This is the sixth time in Ephesians that Paul uses the word walk. And remember, they had no cars, no bikes, no planes, no trains, no automobiles. People walked from sunup to sundown everywhere. And it's a great analogy for your Christian life as a walk because the Christian life is a walk. It's not a one-time decision, but it's an ongoing decision to continue to follow Christ throughout our life. And a careful walk is a wise walk. We know the days are evil. It can slip away on Candy Crush in an instant, or it can be cruelly cut short by violence or health. I have never met someone older who thought life passed by too slowly. It's always I blinked and this decade was gone. That's just how time passes. The days are evil, and in order not to waste our life, the scripture is telling us, hey, be aware of the time, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what's on God's mind. Understand how to live life well. And Proverbs 1-7 is super helpful here. How do we understand the Lord's will? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fools despise wisdom and instruction. For our short life, we need God's knowledge, we need his wisdom, we need the understanding of God's will, and this all starts first, last, best, and always with a fear of the Lord. And that's not a cowering in the corner before the Lord kind of fear, but rather a reverent worship that God is God and we're not God. We got to get that part right or we got no chance at a real relationship with God. We have to understand that he is creator and we are creature. And when we begin to fear or worship the true God, we have a pathway to be a wise person. You can be smart, you can be popular, you can be clever without God. But I know plenty of smart, clever, popular, beautiful people who are very unwise and even evil. Now to understand God's will in your life generally, we need to know God's word. That is God's general will for anything in life is revealed by the words He's spoken. And to understand God's specific will in a specific situation, we take God's word, we need to know it. But then we pray and we ask other godly people to help us. It's a team sport. Now, whatever God's calling you to do specifically in a situation will never violate the general will of God. It doesn't override it, but it takes us inside it to say, Lord, what should I say or do in any given situation? And this is why we need wisdom, because life is hard and complicated. Amen? You're like, no, I have a simple life, Justin. (laughs) Life is hard and confusing. The days truly are evil. The heart of wisdom, look, is, this is the heart of wisdom's definition. That wisdom is skillful living in light of God's word in any situation. Wisdom is skillful living, how we go about stuff, in light of God's word in any situation. And as we follow Jesus towards skillful living, scripture tells us quite plainly that heavy drinking just won't help. Substance dependence leads very often to sinful or unwise, destructive choices. Dependence on a substance often keeps us from dependence on God. It gets in the way. For years of my life, I've spent pastoring souls struggling seriously with addiction and pastoring their families who suffer with them. Heavy drinking and druggies is often disastrous for ourselves and those around us. And it's just the opposite of wisdom. It's an unwise life. And a careful walk is a wise walk, but it's also a spirit-filled walk, controlled by God, not by alcohol. And look what it says in verse 18. He compares being drunk with wine to being under the control instead of God himself. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. And debauchery means kind of a lawlessness, a faithlessness, acting in sin by choice. But be filled with the Spirit. And you can hear the word, be filled, and you might ask like, oh, okay, so am I like empty and full sometimes? Does God kind of like come and go? He's with me sometimes, but not at other times. And actually, God by His Spirit is always with you. We need to remember the promises of God overall. In Deuteronomy 31, it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In the Great Commission of Matthew 28, it's easy to miss that Jesus says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So we see a little coming and going of the Spirit in the Old Testament, but as believers in Jesus, Ephesians 1 tells us that as a part of your salvation, the Holy Spirit now resides in you. It's that part that's changing your heart, opening your heart to God, making you have faith, making you want to obey, changing your desires from within. And I like to explain it like this, because it is a little confusing. That the Holy Spirit is resident in every Christian. However, the Holy Spirit is not the president of every Christian. The Holy Spirit is resident. He's in every true Christian. But he's not always president of every Christian. That the fullness of the Spirit indeed does go up and down inside you. The New Testament is full of verses that someone is full of the Spirit, and then they preach, or they sing, or they have joy, or they endure hard things. These spiritual fruits start bubbling out of them, both for ministry, but also for character in life. But there's also a description of being less full of the Spirit. When we refuse to live for God, when we refuse to obey, instead give in to sin, Ephesians 4.30 told us this describing various sinful behaviors. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And as believers, if you're a believer today, you felt this, that when you sin, God's conviction comes. And we realize we've forfeited nearness with God for the temptation of sin. And God's convicting is called a godly grief. We get that from 2 Corinthians 7. And the point of this godly grief, this mourning over our sin, this sadness, is to draw us back to God. Feeling conviction is a good thing. It's prompting us to repent, to run to God, not hide it, not bury it in shame, but to say, Lord, I I feel it, I see it, I know it. And to find a merciful Jesus that says, hey, come on in for the big hug. I'm ready to forgive you always. See, we're in Christ. So when God's grieving, it makes us grieve. A sign that you're a believer in Jesus is that sin makes you sad and leads you to repent. Sin is the worship of anything other than Jesus to use your body or life in a way that doesn't worship Jesus. On the flip side, if sin is the worship of anything other than Jesus, then walking in the spirit, what this passage is describing is the worshiping of Jesus. The heart of a spirit-filled person is that they have turned to say, you are God and I wanna worship you with my life. And when I sin, I repent and go back to worshiping Jesus. See, worshiping Jesus is, is the only wise life. Worship is the fear of God lived out. And when we really think about it, in light of who God is, and in light of all of eternity, both behind us and before us, to not worship Jesus now is to waste our precious life. The only wise life is the one bowed before Jesus. And now there's four things in this passage, four commands that are kind of associated with the filling of the Spirit, this walk of worship. And they're right here in verse 18 and beyond. It says, be filled with the Spirit, first command, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Three different words for the same thing. When you worship, worship with spiritual songs from the Bible, from Bible words, from creative energy of the church, worship. Two, sing and make melody to the Lord with your heart. Three, give thanks always for everything that God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now the command be filled with the Spirit is a right now and an ongoing thing. It's in the present tense with this idea that we will keep being filled with the Spirit. But here's the trick of the passage. That the verb is actually passive that I can't fill myself, that passive, it has to happen to me. So the image that we're given is like we're a cup with water in it and we're called to be filled to keep asking God to pour the lemonade out of mama's pitcher of his spirit in the glass, that we would continue to be filled over our life in the ups and downs of our life by more of God. Now, in the original Greek, that's the original language of the New Testament, it's really ambiguous here. These four commands, are they the result of the Spirit filling us, aka God fills up the cup and then we do these four things? Or do we do these four things as a way of moving our jar in the right place and then God dumps the Spirit in? And truly, church, it's a both and. Spirit-filled people do these four commands But in doing these four commands, you'll find you're filled with the Spirit. God's working it both ways. It's like, do I think my way into doing or do I do my way into thinking? It's both. And we see that the first command is to worship God specifically in song with one another or together. That's not just something we suggest or like, like to do or we like to do in our culture, but the worship of God is a direct command of God, and he's pretty specific to sing together. That's why we worship. That's why we make extra time for extra songs at our church, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Our worship is about God first, but quite clearly, it's to encourage one another that there is a corporate or a body aspect to worship. And y'all have felt the spiritual power of singing together, amen? You have felt the moment that you can feel it, that there's a power that when you're singing and you're singing out from your hearts and I live for the King and look, so do you. And look, God is worth it. So we're here and we're not crazy to be here at 9.30 singing our lungs out. That's totally weird. It's unproductive in a secular world. But in a spiritual world, it couldn't be more important. That there's a gift coming from God and we're blessing the God who deserves all worship. And science backs this up. Recent research studies have proven group singing raises mood through raising our oxytocin levels. Oxytocin increases levels of social cohesion, feeling part of a group, being a part of a group, and it both moves us and binds us. To translate that into Christian, worship builds community. That as you worship with others and look around and see that we love the same Jesus, it actually brings us closer to God and closer to each other. And we know this instinctually. How much more encouraging is it to go to a birthday party surrounded by people that love you and they sing happy birthday to you? Rather, the terrible, I know, the introverts cringe. But I'm gonna argue that a group is better than making a birthday cake alone, lighting your own candles and whispering happy birthday to yourself. (laughs) Humans have been singing and making music since the beginning of time. Singing is not about survival. We are spiritual beings and singing feeds our soul. It's wild to think about heaven being described as making music and worshiping Jesus. It's wild to think about when angels are pictured in the Bible, they are singing. That God commands us all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the new, that knew that there's an expectation that we, like the birds, were made to sing and live life like that. But look what the rest. Of verse 19 says, Worship aligns us to the purpose of our everyday. Sunday's a celebration, it's a preparation, it's a healing, it's a refueling for Monday through Saturday. But look what verse 19 says the second command of how to be a great spirit filled worshiper, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The best. Worship is the worship that bleeds from your heart. God wants your heart, church. And one way to give it to him is to give it to him in song. That word making melody is solo. And the inference of that word is like the strum on a guitar string. So what this passage is inviting you, It's saying, would you strum your heart to the truth of God? Would you be moved so deeply that you'd wake up to ourselves and our emotions and our affections and turn them over to God? That worship's not an external extra thing, but it's a part of you being an alive human who follows Jesus that he wants all of your heart, whatever's in there, fear, sadness, shame, guilt, excitement, joy, worship's a way to let it all out. And God knows that we need it. And today, I want you to have the courage to question how you worship. I want you to entertain with me that perhaps there's a better way to strum your heart to God. In college, I'd become a new Christian, and like a good new Christian, I went to work at a summer camp. That's like the immediate path. You have to. And uh, late one night, we were having like a small men's discipleship group, the older staff caring for the younger staff, and there was a guy named Tommy. And Tommy just kind of led off group with complaining um, about Evan. And He was complaining about Evan, that he hated being around Evan at work, and he especially hated being around Evan at worship. And our wise, patient leader goes, well, what what do you hate about Evan so much? And Tommy went on to say, well, Evan just worships so loudly, so wildly. He dances. He whistles while he works. He has so much joy that it has to be fake. I think he's obnoxious, and I just do not like being around him. Our wise leader knew Tommy barely sung at worship. That Tommy mostly looked bored and unengaged. Nothing like making melody from his heart. So he let Tommy go on and on about the evils of Evan, judging him and complaining. Then the leader dropped this question like a grenade into the group. Said, well, Tom do you think God would prefer people worship like Evan, full of joy, or like you, mostly bored? And you would have thought a real grenade went off. The goal here isn't guilt, like, hey, y'all, let's do more because we ain't doing enough. But I have a theory that subdued worship is more often about us and our insecurities than the greatness of Jesus. And common sense would tell us that's not great, that there must be a better way to make melody to a great Jesus who deserves our heart, that wants our passion, because Jesus is worth it. And think about this. Jesus is passionate about you. That's what we call his journey to the cross, his passion. That he would suffer and die for your sins and raise from again to the glory of God so that he could turn our dark hearts to light, that we would see the glory of God and then we would praise him. Jesus says, You can either praise me or the rocks will. Everything in creation was designed to worship Jesus. It is sin that gets in the way. So, church. I would like you to break whatever chain it is to move up in passionate worship, not because it's my preference, but because it's what's described in God's Word. Look with me at Psalm 149. It's like a a lineup of biblical worship. It says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise in the assembly of His faithful people. That would be the church. Come up with new songs and give God the glory he deserves. Let Israel rejoice in his maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in your king. We worship because we have a king. We worship because we have a king that died for his people. Whoever heard of that story? It never happens in human life, except for this one guy. Verse three, it says, let them praise his name with dancing. Your body is an instrument. Make music to him with timbrel and harp. Pick up an instrument. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. We praise God because he first delights in us. We don't praise him to get his shine, get his delight, get his love. We dance because we're already delighted in. Our bodies are instruments because God gave it to us for that purpose. There's a reason we got lungs. There's a reason we got tongues. We are to praise God. Verse five, let his faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. You were made to worship God, church, and worship him together and also have joy when you lay down at sleep and whisper these songs in your sleep till you go to bed. There's been times in my life that things got so dark and felt so bad that all I could do is get a little printout of amazing grace. I wrote it down in the back of my Bible and I would just read it over and over and over and over again till I fell asleep because I didn't have any more tears or words. And I just said, I would rather praise God in my lowest point than sit and let my mind wander to the other, other things. God and his praise is a gift to you. His commandments are not burdensome, but a gift to say my purpose will be found in the praise of God himself. In this Psalm, you can see, it sounds like joyful, rowdy worship. That doesn't mean you need to scream, but scripture's pretty clear, you gotta sing. So if you're like, what's my step? Read the words. (laughs) Go for it. Sing. If you're worried about your voice being bad, hey, it's loud enough no one can hear you. So go for it. There's times we can hear each other. There's times when we're blending in, but sing to the King because he's God. Do it with gladness. Do it with rejoicing. Do it with new songs. Do it as a faithful church. We are the singing people. We're joining Christians of thousands of years, specifically 2,000 years of Christians have been singing. That's our religion. That's our faith. And remember, most of the Christians of the world worship this way with a deep enthusiasm. And here at Citizens, we're cultivating a diverse community of disciples. And one way to do this is to continue to grow in more biblical, in more engaged worship experience. We are aiming for a multicultural worship experience that's a new thing we build together. We learn from the black church tradition. We learn from the white church tradition. We learn from the Latino and Korean church traditions and all of them to create a new church who's learning to sing a new song together, amen? Doesn't that sound like a heavenly and holy goal? Amen. That's what we're gonna do in heaven and that's why we're trying to do it as best we can on earth. That's why it's worth working on our worship where we can be ourselves, just as you are, as unique and as different as you are in every one of us in our unique story, but we can uniquely follow the same Jesus and worship Jesus as God instructs. Amen? Amen. I wanna address why we don't worship Jesus with passion. I've been doing a little bit of research of what are the barriers that we struggle with worship. And the top three were these. Number one was distraction with our minds racing on other things, whether it's external things or internal stuff. Number two was feeling fake, feeling like I don't really mean it, or maybe others are watching me. Either way, I have this feeling of being an imposter. Number three came up of just sin, shame, or just general discontentment that makes worship just feel foreign like you feel far away because of the sin or its effects in your life. And I just want to tell you, church, as I heard these and listened to many of you, I can sympathize and agree with these. And there's steps as a church we're going to keep taking to remove distractions in that kind of environment. But the internal things, the mind racing, the imposter feelings of sin, I want to offer a biblical, accessible solution That's part of the Spirit's filling, and right here in the text, verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Church, I want to talk specifically to us. We can grow in worship by giving thanks truly But that will take slowing down, slowing way down to take that worship together seriously. And I want to admonish us to what would it look like to arrive more like 850, more like 855, be able to be as friendly, I love being a friendly church, but right around 9, maybe a little before, to take your seat, quiet your heart. And start giving God thanks and priming the pump to worship him. To start setting down the to-do list. You gotta write it down, write some stuff down. I do that, write stuff that's on my mind down, put it down. Put my feet on the floor, take some deep breaths and start saying, I'm here to worship God. I've been friendly, keep being friendly. But then when it's time to worship, to be on time and let your heart get primed. And there's help in this. That's what a call to worship is. A call to worship is to say, lift up your eyes to God. When Charlie does it from the keys, I need a call to worship or my mind starts racing. Maybe about the service, maybe about my life, whatever. But a call to worship is a chance that I don't have to come up with the words, but rather we're encouraged by the word of God to say it together, to listen together, to say, take your eyes off this to-do list and it may be long, but it's not as gigantic as our God. It's a moment that we can say, I want to step into the thankfulness and prime that pump to worship Jesus. In the same way, let the confession do the work. Feeling sin and shame and and, and those feelings, the confession is there to let it out, to let the word speak to you. Maybe you need to take some moments and pray afterwards and clear those feelings of guilt and shame by the glory of the gospel to let the confession get down in your bones. We don't do the liturgy because we have to or we're supposed to. We do it to make our heart ready to worship with greater and greater passion. It's like if our heart was cold and dead, the liturgy's the CPR pumping that thing up to say, let's live. As much as we've been beat up Monday through Saturday, today's Sunday. You know who popped out of the grave on Sunday? Jesus Christ himself, amen? Amen. We were made to worship Jesus from the heart, and anything that gets in the way of that needs to die because it's not worth worshiping more than Jesus. We have a way forward, and one of our biggest, these biggest barriers, they need our greatest attention because I don't want us to lose before we even start worship. I don't want us to already be losing. The devil's mission statement is to steal glory from God. And if he can't get you to sin to do that, he would love to get you distracted. A hundred years ago, back when uh, I played high school football, we, uh, we were doing good and we got to the quarterfinals and we drew a team from South Georgia. And it was December. So the light vanished pretty early. Got on the bus, the sun was setting. Two hours later, through the cold and rain, none of our fans had come, obviously. We looked out into the stands and the bright lights to see 8,000 people screaming and cheering for their hometown team. We got off and walked through the mud and the rain and the cold and proceeded to get beat by 100 million points. (laughs) And as we got back on the bus, man, we lost before we ever showed up. We were so discouraged and distracted and intimidated, we had no chance. Church, that's what I see with us sometimes, that we come in so frazzled and rushed that I don't think we have a chance to even let our heart catch up with our body. I don't want to lose before it starts, but rather let the CPR happen and let us worship God for all he's worth. This is what you're made to do. It's not being an accountant and teacher or mother or father first. It's actually being a worshiper of Jesus first. That's what you're meant to do. Will you join me? Will you focus on Sunday worship with me? Take time to settle and engage with your heart to sing with the King Church. Will you? Amen because I think the due glory of God is at stake. I think obedience to his word is at stake. I don't want us to be found unfaithful. And I know we've taken steps, but I want to take some more. I want to get up some staircases. I'm looking for the penthouse. We like on floor three, and it's kind of a long penthouse. I want the city view, and I think it's out there for us. I think a greater filling of his Holy Spirit for you personally and for citizens corporately. I think encouragement that I need, and I know you need too. I think the witness to a weak and worry world are all at stake in our worship, and we can choose to worship. We can make melody from our heart unto God. Step out of the guilt and shame of your past worship performances and step into the present that God loves you and actually wants you and wants to surprise you with what he might do in worship. Colossians 3 says, we teach one another through worship. You usually think, no, teaching is what Justin does right here. It's like, no, through worship, God plans to teach you and instruct you too. The only wise life is a spirit filled worshiping life of Jesus. Let's do it, fam.